Hey guys, welcome to Festival on Film, episode 2. First off, before we begin anything, I just wanted to acknowledge the insane response that I received when I announced and released the first episode of the podcast. I truly believed when I was making the podcast that there would be maybe five people interested in listening to this whole thing, you know, including me. But it's just been great and very heartening and encouraging to see how many people are actually interested in seeing and hearing, uh, you know, from other filmmakers in this region and just having a conversation and a dialogue about filmmaking in this region. So it really keeps me going and I thank you everybody who listened to the first episode and especially to the people who then shared it with other filmmakers, you know, that they know. With that said, this is episode two. Um, it took longer than I expected for us to reach episode two. But uh, it was just because of some work commitments. However, I have uh, scheduled some really, really cool filmmaker interviews in the next couple of weeks that I'm going to record and just keep them and just roll them out, you know, one by one. So I'm very proud to announce that I have Emirati filmmaker Naila Al-Khaja with us um, on this episode. She is maybe the most prominent female filmmaker in this region. She has directed award-winning short films such as Arabana, Once, Malal, The Neighbor and um, Animal, which screened at Dubai Film Festival this past year. And it was a terrifying movie to watch. And she's trying to adapt that into a feature film now. And also to let you know, uh, the links to watch her first two short films, Arabana and Once, are on the show notes, the description of this podcast. If you want to go and just familiarize yourself with her work before you listen to the podcast, you can definitely do that. There will be new links and you can just watch them anywhere. She's an ambassador for Canon Middle East in this region. She is a champion for female filmmaking in this region. She is uh, the owner of D7, which is a production company based in Dubai. Um, she is also the owner of Scene Club, which is a cool uh, non-profit initiative that screens uh, great independent foreign films from around the world um, You know, in Dubai. And I've been following Scene Club ever since it started. And I've, I think it's one of the only initiatives in Dubai that's doing such a great job bringing really, really cool independent cinema to a country where, you know, independent cinema isn't really blossoming, so to speak. Uh, and even though now there are really cool initiatives that are, that are, you know, that have cropped up, you know, she was the one that started this all. So, um, you know, the conversation with her was much shorter than um, the one that I had with Ali Mustafa previously. But it was a very fruitful conversation nonetheless. Uh, you know, she talks about, you know, her background and, uh, you know, her struggles making some of her earlier films. And also how, you know, she balances running a company, a film production company or a commercial production company with also being creative at the same time. So, uh, yeah, so it's an interesting conversation and I hope you guys have fun. And without further ado, here's episode two. Okay. I thought I spoke fast. Yeah, no, I, I spoke, no, you spoke. Oh, really I speak really fast. So I, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. For sure. All right, so I've got Nella Khaja with us. So the first, you know, the, the question that I want to ask you is like, what was the moment that you realized that you want to be a filmmaker or you, you, you're interested in film? Was it something in your childhood? Was it a movie that you watched that inspired you? Was it, what was that one thing that really made you, you know, want to be a filmmaker? I don't think it was one thing. I think it was a collection of things that led to it. First of all, um, my father used to collect a lot of black and white films from the 60s and, you know, uh, before color kicked in, especially with Bollywood. So I used to uh, sneak into his entertainment room and take a lot of the films on Betamax and watch them one after one. And then I noticed that whenever we're traveling, they would all go out and I would skip going out with them because I was so addicted to watching films and I will just be so... Um, kind of extremely excited just to stay in the hotel room and just watch movies. And they're like, why do we even bring you here and waste an airline ticket, you know? So that's when I knew that I had a bit of an obsession uh, with the medium. And as I grew up, I noticed that um, I don't really work well on my own. I love working with people. And film gives you just that. 
So what were some of the films like that influenced you early on? Like, like, like you're saying, the movies that you watched uh, when you were growing up. What were some of the examples of like some movies that were really like influential for you to kind of start loving movies? I think the first film that I remember that I watched many times was Wood Polish. It was a black and white Indian film, which you can probably buy for, uh, on eBay for like maybe seven pounds now. Um, and, and it's basically, a, you know, it's one of those films that definitely will touch a chord in your heart. And it was done in a way that is not much. You know, there's, it's not over-the-top drama, but it just shows that when two orphans um, are related, blood relation, and one gets adopted by a really good family, and they, uh, the other one just ends up in the street because they didn't want two kids. So it just the, the impact that had on me was huge. And I was just, just interested in seeing, like, you know, how one film can pretty much change how you feel towards things. So just imagine, like, a whole collection of films. So I'm just also very interested in the the impact films have on uh, communities and societies and maybe like you know industries and how industries can also change pe- the way people think which is really interesting to me so once you you know once you knew that this is what you want to do like you want to pursue f- film as you know as a passion so what was the next step like would you do get a formal film education of some sort or what was the next step for you when you realized that this is what you want to do yes so basically the next step was to find a way to go and study film and uh, and come back and practice film. So I just knew instinctively that that's what I really needed to because this is back in 2000 and um, sorry 1999 when uh, you know there's absolutely nothing here related uh, to film production. So everything was super limited and everything that we shot on was also on um, 35 millimeter and um, as you know that's very expensive. So I had to get kind of trained to come back and find a way to start film. And did you, how was your experience in film school? Like, do you think it really helped you in terms of you know, figuring it out? Oh, no, absolutely. I think uh, film school didn't help me much as much as being an Emirati going to a foreign country, um, how it shook me inside out in terms of it broke everything I believed in. It was a huge turnaround for me as a person. I think that's where my character developed from being literally in a box to going out, out there and not knowing what to do, being lost half the time, not having enough money to survive. Like, all these things were very hard-hitting for a local, especially a woman outside, and not being even, uh, not ever have to, you know, worry about sustaining myself. No, I had to sustain myself, I have to be alone. I was just 20 years old or around that age group. And, um, it was, it's, you know, Toronto can be a very frightening large city for, uh, you know, someone who comes, you know, who came from Dubai in, uh, in 1999. When you told your parents or, you know, your family that you wanted to be, uh, you know, pursue film, was, that, was there some pushback to that or were they very supportive or how was that, the whole experience with that? Uh, it's a very, you know, it's a story where I had to fight for an education and I had to find a way to go there and study. So it wasn't easy, definitely it was not easy at all. Um, I can tell you something interesting is when I went to the Ministry of Education to apply for scholarship because I was completely uh, funded by the government to study. Uh, that was the only way otherwise because my parents were against it so they, wouldn't, they weren't willing to pay. So when I went there and I, want, and I wanted to study film, they're like, we don't have that major. And you're the first one to actually apply to study film through the scholarship program. Oh. So they gave me, like, I think there were like 12 to 15 boxes to tick. And they were all in all the different majors, like marketing and business and IT, but film was never an option. So I was very happy to know that after I left, um, the second person applied for film, they actually had a box for film. Wow, that's really cool. So this new magical box appeared on the application form, and I'm so glad that you know I was the first one to kind of push that agenda. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, so so when you when you came back from uh, you know from your film from school, like what was the next step when you wanted to make make a movie? What what was 
why I know your first movie was Arabana. So what was the thought process behind that? Like why why that movie? Or what did you decide to do? I think personally, it's the the easiest films are the films that you know. Basically, the films that you experience yourself because you know the story inside out. You're not going to come with a fabrication. You probably won't be able to afford a very expensive or a very good writer at that point, unless you are living in an area where there's a very like there's a thriving film industry, and you will find that community that will help you that will volunteer. But um, having said that, it's not the easiest place to find freebies, sort of. So, so to speak. Yeah. So then what do you do? First step, look into your own life and find something that has happened to you, hopefully something interesting, and film that. Because it will be personal, it will be real, and it will probably come across in a way where people will actually buy it. So, you know, if you're true to yourself, people can see that. So for me, the, the most natural thing was to shoot Arabana because it was a story that was very familiar to me and uh, something that, you know, I was affected by. And it was interesting because, I mean, we shot it on 35 and I had a lot of companies who came on board to sponsor, which was great. So I had no funding. So I went and I raised the money myself, was able to film it. And then something very similar like what you're doing. We had a radio, uh, more, you know, it was a radio broadcast, not a podcast. But we had a lot of people, because we can't see their faces, they had the courage to call the radio and they all started talking about their own fear when they were kids and how they were touched by pedophiles in Dubai. I mean, this is something like, oh, wow. You know, people started opening up and saying there's nothing wrong with this in terms of saying it exists here or anywhere else in the world because this is a problem that children yeah. face everywhere. Yeah. And, um, and it was based on how French farms were actually... So basically, when I did the film, I found out through research that um, the larger the scale of, the, of a house the higher the chances a child will be molested sexually. So if you live in a villa that's really massive, the chances that the kid will be molested is higher. And number one, uh, molesters are usually like staff, like servants and workers and farmers and whatnot. So that was something that uh, was noted in, in some big you know, ranches and, far uh, and, and farms in France. And that's why if you notice the film, it was actually filmed in Khawanij in a farm in a very massive villa. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of portray that look. Yeah. Your yeah, film was black and white. Was that a conscious choice that you made for, yes. for, for the yes. story? Yes, I wanted black and white because it was kind of a segment of my memory. So I wanted to... Uh, also, 35mm on black and white looks really stunning. So we thought aesthetically it also looked good and it fit the mode of the film. And there's something else about black and white. It is harsh. It doesn't yeah. give you room to decide. It doesn't have gradients of color. It doesn't give, it doesn't give you that tone of warmth, right? It's very like... As you said, it's either black or white. You make yeah. a choice. So I think it was interesting to use that medium because it reflected um, the many different layers of the film. So after you were done with, with that movie, like, were you more encouraged to do, like, okay, I want to follow in, in more like boundary-pushing movies like these? No, not, not at all. You know, I've had that question said. I mean, it's, look, it's a really good question, but it's definitely not. I will only film what I feel passionate towards, what I feel... I wouldn't film things where I think, oh, this is an important an important story, I have to say it. You know, I'm not out there, like, going out and saying, oh, I have a message, I want to get this message out. No, I don't give a crap about giving messages out. <laughs> what, I, what I do care about is being honest to my art form and finding a way to entertain my audience. You know, I'm not interested in doing hardcore art house films. I have nothing against them. I think there are some stunning ones. But, you know, being true to my nature and the way... I get bored very fast, so I have to do something that has a bit of a pace, has a bit of a rhythm, and the story can be gripping and definitely 
hits the heart like emotionally in a way or another. So, for example, let's take take an example. If I'm shooting suspense or thriller or even a romantic, you know, romantic uh, film, whatever medium or whatever, sorry, whatever genre I choose, it needs to have that kind of. Um, Actually, I'm very bad at this. What I'm trying to say is that it has to have a really good character development so people really care about the the, the, the cast I, I have in the film because I think that's what we really need. That's what's really missing in today's cinema, that a lot of films feel very soulless. And, I, you know, and it's nice to kind of uh, see films that have a soul. Like the other day I was sitting with my husband and he said, hey, let's watch a film called... Um, Help! What was the name? I think it was... a. Uh, a doctor in Africa? I can't remember the name. So, so, Christian? African doctor. Thank you. So it was called African Doctor. And um, the story was about a, a black African uh, doctor who goes to a rural, rural area in France uh, way in the 70s where this village, has ne- they've never seen a black guy before. Some of them never have. You know, this was way before uh, things were exposed. And it's a very, like, small, 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 small village. And... Um, it didn't have special effects. It wasn't even a big independent film, but it had a lot of soul, you know, and that's what's really missing. I think these are the things that, especially if you're a first-time filmmaker and trying to do your short, look for things, you know, really develop your character. Don't try to make things too complicated. Find a storyline that's just like, you can summarize it in one sentence, especially yeah. if it's a short. Yeah. Uh, the, the common mistake that I see a lot of filmmakers do they take a one hour and a half feature film and they squeeze it somehow in ten minutes. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, and that's it's its own art form. It has to be its own story, like that uniquely fits, you know, yeah. the short form. So after uh, Araban, I believe you made once. That was your uh, was your next film, and that was like about you know Emiratis, you know, dating, and it had like like a romantic element to it. Also, at least it was, it was yeah. the beginning. So. and a bit of suspense. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how uh, how was your experience shooting that? I believe that had a bigger budget than 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 your than your. No, previous that's film? actually Arabana had a much b- bigger budget. Ironically, being my first yeah. film, I don't know. Um, once didn't have a budget at all. Okay, interesting. It was shot on Super Sixteen. Everyone volunteered from the cast to behind the scenes. Like what I think I paid for was just the food. Okay. And um, as, as you can see, it's very grungy. It looks really kind of, you know, we didn't have enough light supply. So a lot of the uh, pictures are pretty much very, very underexposed. Uh, but in a way, it kind of helped with the, the film look and feel. You know, it had that grunginess to it. It's almost like Peep and Tom, like someone has a hidden camera and he's following this, this girl who's like sneaking around the city trying to date this guy. Um, you know, without the knowledge of her parents and basically the journey of how she goes from A to B without getting caught. So building the suspense and the tension through her journey was the film. And I think one of the next <coughs> things that you made was Malal, which was shot, um, you know, abroad. Uh, 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 yeah. I think in India, it was, yeah. it was shot in India, right? So how was the experience shooting that? And it was that any was struggle? That was the best experience ever because it was working with like an Indian uh, crew Really? And there's so much fun, and it was a, a huge number. Like I think we were like a very, very big crew, over 80 people, and and I was c- kind of shocked that we had that many people, uh, because usually when we do shorts here in the UAE, we don't have such a big crew for small for shorts, especially. So I was very impressed. I mean, they had a vanity van lined up for the actors. They had someone with a fan fanning you the whole day. I'm like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So we got really spoiled. And they were very courteous and very polite. And I noticed something that was a bit shocking. The set itself transformed within like 
like magic. It just moved so fast because they don't use sandbags. They use human beings to move like light equipment. So you see like fast forward, 20 guys running like from A to B like, and then the whole scene has changed. I'm like, oh my God, I could shoot like three hour movies here. No wonder they produce so fast. So that was exciting. The other challenge was shooting in uh, the south of India and Kerala yeah. because it was literally in a, you know, a, a, a kind of like an untouched uh, landscape. Uh, it was the Tata plantation. The, the views were literally breathtaking, absolutely stunning. Um, the challenge was they had, um, there was one area where it had an over, whatever the word is in English, it means when you have more, uh, what's that thing that sticks in your skin, a leech? Leech, yeah. 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 So they had those leeches, oh, wow. okay. but in numbers, I can't even tell you. Everyone got bitten. Wow. So you could see everyone like bleeding. So you, we, we looked like a crew that actually looked like a zombie crew because everyone was like bleeding either from your arms or your leg or your back. So we're like, we're bleeding to film for you. <laughs> like, okay. So, but you know, in the end, the footage looks great. And I have to say it was the first Emirati film shot on red. Okay. Yeah. That's very cool. And uh, and just like so, so handling a crew like that, like from from going from a smaller you know run and gun kind of crew to going to like, handling such a big crew, how was that transition for you? You know, as a, as a director. Oh, it spoils you because then you don't want to go back. It's yeah. like if you always go like business class, you don't want to go back to economy. Yeah. You get spoiled. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so with with so after you were done with uh, Malala, I believe your your next film was uh, The Neighbor. Yeah. Was, was that the next one? And that was I would I assume that was a. <laughs> larger even in terms of duration it was it was it was bigger and yeah the neighbor was commissioned work by dubai culture so i was commissioned ali mustafa yeah. and uh, khalid uh, khalid mahmoud i think that's his name sorry if i'm getting, I'm getting it wrong but there were three emiratis that were commissioned and the concept or the theme was find soul in dubai like it was called soul of dubai so we all had to come up with our own stories which was nice so they didn't really cr- you know, control that part, yeah. as long as it doesn't have, of course, uh, politics, religion, yeah. sex, and blah, 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 yeah, like yeah, 60 other yeah. things, you know, so good luck getting <laughs> the story done. But we manage, we all manage, and sometimes when you're limited with what you can write, it kind of pushes you to be more creative. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so basically I wrote it, and we shot it, and it was a film where I didn't have to be exhausted in terms of funding, because it was completely funded by Dubai Culture. So, at least in that way, it was nice. It was actually the first film where I didn't produce, I only directed. So I really recommend that. Like if you reach that stage where you actually have a producer um, and you're just directing, that's the best because then you can really focus on the craft. Okay. And... uh so how was how was it filming something which is obviously comp- competitive to your other, to your other films? Like it was more lighthearted and kind of had a more uh, lighthearted message. Was that different for you as a director to kind of yeah. tackle that? Yeah, it was it was a good break to yeah. do something that was more like uh, light and and fun. You know, um, yeah. And you know, one thing it does it makes you also uh, understand. I mean, the, the good thing about doing many shorts, you get to know what you're b- good at. You know, yeah. you, you know that you know if you suck at comedy, then don't yeah. you know so at least you get to practice and see what genres you're more inclined to and sometimes you could be good at two or in three different yeah. uh, genres and or not so it was a good exercise for me definitely okay coming back to uh, to to animal which is your most recent uh, short film how was that experience how did that come about like wh- where did the idea of, of that movie come about for you um i guess i was just feeling kind of I was really reminiscing and I was really missing making films. You know, sometimes you get very busy with your company because we shoot commercials here and whatnot. And a long time has passed since The Neighbor. And 
And I'm like, you know, it's really time I do a short. And I just sat one evening and I wrote the whole thing in one go. Like wow. usually when I write, I just like, it all comes out in one That's go. Cool. And then I forgot about it. I looked at the script like a week later and I thought, okay, this is it. I have to get this film done. And literally like within two weeks, we managed to, sh- to cast, shoot, produce, edit, like, and get the film out. So nice. it was a really, really insane and quick turnaround. Yeah, and how was that as, as like as a director is dealing with like it's almost like going back to the more run and gun style from your earlier. It was. Earlier in your... It was a very polished run and show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, polished because I didn't compromise on my crew. Yeah. And also because now I'm much older and I have more experience and. Yeah. You know, people shouldn't forget that when they're shooting stuff that bores them, let's say you're filming corporate films or TVCs, it's still practice. You're still yeah. working with a crew, you're still lighting. So that doesn't mean you can't use your cinematic experience or your love of telling a story and, and you know, help maybe even your clients to tell their story differently. Yeah. So it always there's always a challenge, even in the most mundane type of work. So I think even if you don't do a short and you wait another two years, don't just not doing something yeah. you know start filming film shoot shoot as much as you can yeah so among all the shots that you've done what was like a big challenge that you that you had like a big struggle that you uh, that you had and that's like a big lesson for you that you kind of learned from you know on your future stuff is Menel, okay the film in india because literally the night before or the day before actually the main actress uh, decided not to uh, act uh-huh. and we already got her the visa and you know we're all flying to india so And we had 12 people flying from Dubai to India. So it was a bit of a, I mean, I almost got a heart attack because I have yeah. sponsors also. Yeah, like it was sponsored insane. by 240, uh, 244. So, I mean, what do I tell myself? And I can't just cancel everything. Yeah. And half the money has already been wired. Yeah. So to India, to the crew I had there. So then I did something which I usually would never do. I, I did the, I took the main role. So I acted her mm. because there was no way I can find someone within a day and rehearse all the scenes. Yeah. Uh, and the night before we had to fly out. Yeah, you're the one who knows so, it the best in the Exactly. So the I just pretty much got into the role and okay. won Best Mohar at the Dubai Film Festival. Well, how was the experience like, in front of the camera versus... Horrible! <laughs> <laughs> so that's something you know that you, wanna, you don't want to necessarily like, do again? or not, not necessarily not do again. I mean, you know, for fun, it's fantastic. But yeah. um, it's, it's, again, it's a craft on its own. It's another yeah. whole world. It's another profession. You know, people, they spend years... For sure. Taking care of that skill set. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was in this position where I had no choice. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's why I, I think But if I had a choice, yeah. I wouldn't do it because it takes away the liberty of directing. Yeah. Because you're in, your, you're in your character and then, you know, someone else or you call cut, which is kind of weird. <laughs> and then you go back behind the scene and it also it, it also takes more time because yeah. I have to now look at the monitor again and re, you know and, and rewind this, the yeah. shot and, and then go back and then remember that I have to do makeup and hair before I go back in the scene so yeah. it, it was really uh, annoying yeah. if you're acting you won't think about the, uh, the framing or something that might spontaneously happen in the background because yeah. we were in a very open area it was a lake yeah. right You know, there were birds in the background, monkeys, yeah. like you can imagine. Yeah. So I, I'm not there. Yeah. So I have to rely on my director of photography. Yeah. So when I'm actually acting, I'm completely in that character. In that sort of like a, yeah. So I can't be acting and thinking, oh, oh, this is interesting, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. So it's, uh, that was the challenge for sure. And when, you're, and when you're in the editing stage, like, are you, like, is it tricky for you to like, select the right take based on what you think it is versus like what you think you look the, the best in because you know you are the actress like is that is that something that that was a struggle for you oh no no i mean the best take was obvious you know when, okay. i mean look i'm not a good actress but it was easier to identify what was the best out of the crap so yeah, yeah. 
Okay. So from from what I understand is like when you wrote Animal, that was kind of your like a like a short film that you want to expand into a feature length film as well. So can you talk? And I don't know. It's, I know it's pretty early, but like just generally, what are you planning to do in terms of a, a feature length film? Well, basically, it's actually as we speak. You know, I have a writer on board attached, Karim Tradia, and I'm co-writing with him. So every Sunday, we met uh, on Skype last Sunday, and we have another Skype call this coming Sunday. So what we do now every Sunday, it's a ritual. Uh, we're just um, basically, we're going to lock the f- complete synopsis of the film, and then he's going to flesh it out. And within a month, maximum month and a half, I'm going to have the first draft of okay. the entire script. Okay, so you're still kind of uh, f- like, and then you're going to look out, look for like, you know, investing and stuff. Or is that already something you've? you've uh, f- I mean, I, I am thinking of in the back of my mind, but that's definitely something that will definitely be stage two. Yes, that's stage two. Okay. And I mean, being but it helps because now I have a little teaser like the the short. Yeah, exactly. The, it's like a visual. So then I could submit the the you know the script and the financial breakdown plus the teaser on top. So we like a package. Okay. So I mean, being a woman in this in this region, like I know it's in the U.S. It's, it's you know there's a lot of stuff like how not many females get opportunities to direct like major superhero movies or big budget 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 films. But I, I'd like to believe that UA is a little more uh, you know progressive in that regard, maybe a little bit more in terms of filmmaking. Do you do you feel is, is, has it been, you know, advantageous for you to kind of be, you know, a prominent f- uh, woman filmmaker here? Like, does that give you an edge versus versus something that you feel like it's it's uh, you you face some kind of discrimination in that regard? Um, I mean, here per se in the UAE, uh, you know, it's it's again, the film scene is very very super young, right? Yeah. So it's still a movement. Yeah. So I don't think it matters if you're a filmmaker, woman or man, as long as you're telling good stories, people will watch them that's cool that's pretty much it yeah and i don't think you know someone should get preference because uh they're you know it's a guy or a girl or whatever it is right i mean it it is quite also i mean it brings the question why hasn't there been a feature film by a woman yet yeah that's what i was was getting Um, at yeah so i don't know yeah i mean you you, it seems like you've got your project figured out so maybe that's that's maybe the first one uh, so just back to your company. I mean, I know you have, you have D7, which is the office we're in right now, and you, you make corporate videos and commercials and stuff like that. So how do you manage to stay creative when you're doing you know, stuff for, uh, you know, for other companies that are not necessarily stuff that you've you know, written? And yeah. See, creative decision-making doesn't necessarily just... Um, it's not just limited to filmmaking. Creative decision-making could be a creative business decision because there's an entrepreneur in me. And then when you're doing a creative artistic decision, that's the artist. So it's, it's more about how do you juggle between the entrepreneur and, and how do you juggle between being an entrepreneur and your artwork, yeah. right? So you need to give good breathing space for both. Otherwise, you suffocate. Yeah. Because you can't be 99% just doing the business, the dry part, and then you know, not really working on your creative soul so to speak. Yeah. So I think it's nice when you're running a production company, you will have the creative space um, even when you're working with clients. If you're lucky, you will meet clients who are very open to ideas, you know, who let you kind of exercise your little dance here and there. But of course, in the end, it is their product, so they will come and sometimes kill your thoughts. Yeah. So you have to be ready for all these uh, little, you know, sparks, so to speak, between the journey of making films yeah. for clients. But again, it's a business, yeah. so you have to always think of the the overall picture of surviving and making money even and making sure that you're paying your staff on time and you know your rent on time so you have to take it seriously yeah. you can't just say oh no no i'm going to defend my art till i die yeah yeah that's all good and well but it will burn bridges and you have to always think of creating art there are two types of cre- art creation right there's one where it pays your bills and then there's one that makes you happy and yeah. you just have to find a balance. I want to uh, come to the scene club, which is something that I've been, you know, 
you know, screens that have been attending for uh, I think ever since it started, especially in early on when it was in the knowledge village. What sparked for, for you, like you know, to, to create something like that in this, in this region? Just very simple. <clears throat> you know, you have uh, one line of film selection, and a lot of people want to watch fun, independent foreign film. And I thought there's a really good space for doing this, and a lot of people would attend, and they did. So that was really fun. Yeah, and you've seen it grow, obviously, in terms of audience, you know, so, so far. So that, that, does that give you, like, confidence that we are, there is an audience here who really appreciates, like, independent films and not just, like, the latest superhero movie that's in the cinemas or whatever? Yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's when you have... See, I think I love my city, but it has a tendency to go from one extreme to another. What do I mean by that? You either pay premium and live and then stay in a really good hotel, or you find... You know, there's no, there's never that middle ground, right? Yeah. Or you go to uh, Deira and stay in some other hotel and, and come out crying because something weird happened in the fridge. Okay, <laughs> let's not get into that. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is that with film, it's the same thing. You either get your Supermans and your Batmans, but you never get, and you never get the middle ground. And what I mean by that is the independent, independent cinema that's still entertaining. Yeah. When people hear ind- independent cinema, they immediately think of super slow art house films that are just so quirky that will like completely go over your head yeah. you know where there is an audience for that yeah. as well but we before we go that deep and you know that that deep like Trans, Trans Malik's films for yeah. example or yeah. you know uh, Lars Van Tier's yeah. movies you know there I love those films but none of my most of the audience will disappear because it's too hardcore. It is, yeah. So I think finding a middle ground and finding films like a good selection behind us here is like Machan, yeah. uh, the Sri Lankan film. Yeah. You know, and that Michael was Manila fun. Stuff, yeah. That really was cool entertaining. Movie. You don't get bored. But they're still, you know, not your Batmans and Supermans. So that's where I think I, I play a really uh, and strong, a very strong role in uh, bringing those films in. And I'm just so glad. I'm glad that other pockets and other initiatives uh, happen after the scene club. So that's pretty cool. One, one thing that I wanted to ask you is like, I remember once I was having a, uh, I was at a, at a workshop, I think that you were, that you were giving and you, you proposed this idea that uh, for every ticket sold, we should have yeah, like a small... I keep saying that everywhere. Nothing, I know, yeah. It never happens. It, yeah, it never did. So, you, so, you're, so the idea you pre- it was like, for every ticket sold, we should be like a portion of it, like a dirham or well, two. Well, there's 10%. I don't know the percent. Actually, don't quote me on this. Yeah. I know that the government actually takes a percentage off the tickets anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it's called, the, the actual name of that process. Um, but obviously, I was just thinking, now that tax is going to be introduced, there must be some way where maybe, uh, you know, part of that revenue can go into a fund that can fund um, ground home uh, cinema. Yeah, so you think, so have you heard anything on that front in terms of, in terms of happening or is it just like a, because I think it's, I honestly think it's a really cool idea. Like I'm surprised when, when I heard it first, I was like, why is, this is like an idea we need to happen. It's yeah, not even that hard to implement. Yeah, this is something that needs to come from the top. Yeah. Um, and if they see the value that, it doesn't necessarily need to be a monetary value. A lot of the stuff that UAE does is not really monetary value, but they see that it has a good impact. So let's say that we have one film that gets into the Cannes Film Festival, which has never, ever happened, yeah. or even Venice or Toronto, like a feature film. Um, that would bring a lot of publicity for the UAE. Those films could be like ambassadors for the country overseas. Yeah. But in the history of this country, we've never had one feature film enter any of these prestigious film festivals. And those films, you some, most of them struggle to make money. But a lot of different countries and... and uh, you know, uh, continents actually have these kind of government funds that support their local artists because they really believe that 
you know, the, the medium of film is powerful and it's also mobile. It means that this film will have longevity and it will also represent the country in many... Uh, because, you know, if you have a feature film, first of all, it has longevity, plus it can travel to so many festivals worldwide. Yeah. So you're creating a product, but it's also going to have a life of two years at film festivals in the world. And, yeah. you know, and then the distribution could happen. Way exactly. And distribution can happen. The UAE's name can come out and be like, oh, wow, an Emirati film. You know, what is that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely time for that stuff. So over the last, I mean, you know, 10 years that you've been like making making movies, how have you seen the UAE you know, film industry kind of evolve, you know, from, from when you started to where it is now? Do you have any thoughts on, on how what kind of progress have you seen, if, if any? No, I mean, there's progress, don't get me wrong, um, from festivals opening and closing, <laughs> from once, you know, from initiatives, again, opening and closing is always like hit and miss, hit and miss. Um, but overall, I think the hunger, uh, what happened is, there's one word, actually, digitization. When film died, when Kodak literally, their logo kind of fell down and they sent me a goodbye gift, it was kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Um, the digital medium being, you know, Canon being... Revolutionary with their 5D, and you know what that happened. That mm. meant every person can be a filmmaker. Mm. I think the disease spread like fire here in the <laughs> UAE, and everybody wanted to make a film at that point. I remember that phase. It was a bit annoying too because you you get to see a lot of films that are just yeah. rub, you know not very good. So um, because it just made it easy, people got lazy. Whereas when you're shooting on film, you probably have like what four or five shots. So you really think about composition. You really think about rehearsing those actors. You really like put your heart and soul to get that right shot. Whereas with a digital medium, it's made a lot of filmmakers, not all of them, don't get me wrong, it's just made them very, very kind of laid back. Because you know what? You can take 300 shots if you want to, if you have all the time in the world. Um, So what has happened? There's been a more aggressive, I would say, film movement. Um, But ironically, the I don't know if I want to use the word pioneers, but the filmmakers who are prominent, let's say, in the industry, the few names you still hear about the same few names. Why? Because they're consistent. Whereas the others, they just fiddle with it a few times and they leave it. Whereas, you know, like uh, Abdullah Kabi, myself, uh, Khal Mahmoud, many other names, uh, they've made a a living out of this. You know, Mm -hmm. we take this seriously. This is our bread and butter. Yeah. Okay. And do you feel like something, a studio like Imagination, for example, being being in this country, which wasn't obviously existing before, and they are kind of making bigger, you know, something like Zinzana, for example, that came out last year, and they're making like, more polished studio films in a, in a way you think that has is, is a good sign for the industry like you think that's yeah of course absolutely I think look Zinzana is a fantastic film and the mm. fact that it got picked by Netflix yeah. the first Emirati film I yeah. mean kudos to Majid Lansari who's yeah. super talented yeah. I think that's a revolutionary step for us it's like and I hope it has a snowball effect I hope they make many many more Zinzanas around you yeah. know uh, by women by men by whomever you yeah. know as long as uh, these type of initiatives exist, it, it will make it happy. But I really do want to see a government-funded one. If you were in charge and if you had to make one change to, you know, just the way the industry is, like, what would what would that be? Like, if this, do you have anything, do you, one idea that if you had the power to, to do that, you would want to make, you know, an adjustment or a change or, or, or something? I'll remove censorship. Okay, that's interesting. You <laughs> <laughs> said fair. one thing, I told that's you fair. one thing. That's yeah. um, So... Other than the feature film that you're now prepping and you're doing, are there any other projects that you're kind of working on in terms of shots or maybe other features? No, I mean, uh, far away from that category, I am working on my YouTube show. Okay. And that's going to be probably up hopefully soon. So it will be very interesting and it will kind of tick the love of, you know, hosting. I like hosting, filmmaking. Um, I want to shoot it in a beautiful way as well. And I want to also show how I... 
I, I'm very interested in people and different types of people. So this show will kind of have some of that stuff in it. So yeah, it's really interesting because I think there's so much space to evolve, like in terms of YouTube, like in this region. I don't feel like this might be so maybe that's another cool. Absolutely, direction. you said it absolutely right. There's not enough content creation, yes. and I think you know it's time that even though if we have clients, they come and go. Uh, the the times where, especially when it's quiet, it it's never an excuse not to do something. I think it's always great to come up with ideas and create content because you never know where that can go, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely a, a big, big hunger for Middle Eastern content, yeah. and this is basically our next step. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for for, for talking to me. It was it was great, uh, you know, hearing your thoughts. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for interviewing me. And for those who don't know where the Scene Club is. Shame on you. Just kidding. Just go to thescenclub.com and you can watch independent films. So there you go. That was the conversation with Nalal Khaja. Uh, she was a pleasure to speak to. And uh, I hope you guys gained some valuable insight from this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you did, as usual, I just ask you to share the episode, you know, on social media, Twitter, Facebook, um, whatever. Just share the website, faisalonfilm.com. We are also on iTunes and every major podcast um, application that you could use on your phone or uh, on your computer. So check us out there too. Um, you know the more people that are listening to this podcast the bigger impact it makes and it just makes uh, you know what i'm trying to do a little bit easier um and i don't have a marketing budget so i'm just relying on you guys and just the sharing that you guys can do to get to the right audience in this market and special thanks to Kane Rodriguez for helping us um, you know record this uh, and mix it together to make it sound as good as it does and uh, the next episode is going to be coming much quicker and i promise you there's some really really cool guests uh, you know that of different perspectives on uh, on things including some on the more documentary side as well so until next time this is Faisal Hashmi signing out <laughs>